and turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 22. If you would turn with me in your Bibles as you stand to Revelation 22. We're finishing the book of Revelations uh, tonight, and then we will start the book of Romans uh, next week. And Wednesday nights is our in-depth study of this text. So come back on Wednesday night as we'll go in-depth on chapter 22, and we are going to continue that format in the book of Romans, so much in the book of Romans. So we'll take our weekend text, study in-depth on uh, Wednesday nights. So let's pray together. Father, we come before you, and Lord, we do lift up this next generation Pray for a move of your spirit. Pray blessing upon E4. And Jesus, as you tell us so emphatically that you're coming quickly, may that register in our hearts and our minds. From your perspective, your return is soon. We're going to be with you in heaven for all of eternity. And may that impact our lives. May it rock our lives. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So Thursday night, I got home from work and I decided I was going to shovel the little bit of snow in our driveway that we got. And my system's a little bit shocked to the cold after it's been so warm this winter. I'm like, what is this? This is cold, you know, but I put on my boots and I've got my jacket. I'm thinking, I'm just going to do this as fast as I can. So I'm just going to town, going to town, going to town. And Eileen, my daughter's out there with me. And all of a sudden, my legs on some, some ice, and then my face went forward with all this uh, momentum. I've got the shovel in my hands, and I did not catch myself. And my face went right on the concrete, right? And it happened so quickly. I didn't even see it coming. And that reminds me of the second coming of Jesus. <laughs> it's, it's just going to happen quick. When Jesus decides to come and wrap things up, it is going to happen quick. And we're not even going to see it coming. So I got a little bit of humble pie on uh, Thursday night. Where have we been in the book of Revelations? That's important as we wrap up the book. Is the divine outline was given to us in chapter 1 verse 19. Where John was instructed to write the things which he had seen. Which was the revelation of Christ. I think tonight or this weekend, it would be great to go back and read chapter 1. Maybe in all of the details of Revelation, you've lost sight of the theme, it's Jesus. It's the glory of Jesus, and chapter 1 does that so well. Chapters 2 and 3 write the things which are, which is the churches, the seven churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Then the third section, write the things that take place after this, from chapter 4 to chapter 22. If you can get Revelation 1, verse 19, you're an expert on the book of Revelation. It's one of the few books that comes with its own divine outline from the Lord. From chapter 4 to chapter 22, God's judgment on a Christ-rejecting world. The, The seal judgments, the bull judgments, the trumpet judgments. That then leading to... The return of Christ, Jesus coming, and then ushering in the millennial kingdom, the thousand years. And after the thousand years, Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. There's the great white throat judgment for unbelievers, so humbling and and sobering. Those that have rejected Christ also being raised up to have to stand before the Lord 
in chapters 21 and 22 is the new heaven, the new earth, new Jerusalem, eternity with the Lord. And that's where we pick up. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. This angel is giving John a tour of heaven. And he shows them this pure river of water. It's as clear as crystal and it's proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. We have beautiful landscape here in Colorado. And and some of my favorite are are alpine lakes with the mountains and the snow-capped glaciers and those alpine lakes then leading to just crystal water. It's kind of what we're, we're known for in our Rocky Mountains and all of our beer commercials, right? <laughs> but at the throne room of God, there is this river, this crystal river that, that is coming. And throughout scripture, God talks about living water. Jesus in John 7 stood up on the last day of the feast and said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. And, and out of you will flow rivers of living water. Jesus saying, I'm the source of living water. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel are corrected by the prophet Jeremiah because they had forsaken the fountain of living water and hewn for themselves cisterns, wells that couldn't produce. They had rejected and gone into idolatry and left that source of satisfaction which can only be in the Lord. So eternal life is this crystal living water coming from the throne room of God. We don't have any, the distractions of our phones, the despair of our sin, the destruction of other people's sin. All of that is removed. We're able to see and behold God and freely be able to drink from this source of living water and pure satisfaction coming from the Lord. It's everlasting life. It's a continual flow of eternal life. Verse 2, in the middle of its streets and on the other side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So in the middle of its streets, remember the streets are paved for gold, on either side of the river, so on both sides of the river, was the tree of life. And and the tree of life has 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. So there is another flavor of fruit every month coming from the tree of life. What's interesting to me about this is time is still being documented in heaven, even though it's eternal. A month goes by and it's time for another flavor of fruit, right? Another month goes by and there's another flavor of fruit and and 12 months have, have gone by. So we're still tracking time even though we're in eternity, which kind of blows, blows my mind. From just the leaves of the tree of life is the healing of the nations. You could sum up the Bible in the story of three trees. The tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of Calvary, where Christ died. When God created the garden in Adam and Eve, he placed in the garden the tree of life, this source of eternal life. But he also placed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil with really only one command in the negative sense for Adam and Eve. They were told to 
take care of God's garden, steward God's creation, but then here's the one thing they couldn't do, and that was eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And unfortunately, they sinned. Don't we find ourselves getting mad at Adam and Eve sometimes? Like, man, if they just wouldn't have blown it in the Garden of Eden. Well, they're the best that we have to offer. They're the champions if they would. I'm sure that all of us, unfortunately, would have made that same choice of sin. As they chose the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sin entered into their lives, sin entered into all of our lives. Thankfully, that's not the end of the story. As in Jesus came and died upon the tree of Calvary. Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree, the scriptures tell us. And, and Jesus hung on the tree, took our sin for us, so that those who believe are forgiven, and we get welcomed back to the tree of life. Scripture ends, Revelations 22, with where it began with the tree of life. God sums up the story. How about this healing of the nations with the leaves of the tree? Just the leaves are able to provide healing of the nations. Don't we long for the healing of the nations? Right now, tensions are really rising with Russia and Ukraine. I heard on the news that they've got over 100,000 troops uh, on the border doing these maneuvers. NATO's starting to posture and saying things. If, if Russia does invade, then NATO is going to get, in, get involved. I also heard on our, our local news, if it does escalate to that point, they've, they've slated troops from Colorado Springs, from Fort Carson to go over and, and, and get involved. And we could be at the brink of a fairly large conflict. Who knows? But the Lord knows. And you hear the diplomats trying to work peace and it doesn't seem to be going very well. Doesn't seem to be a, a diplomatic answer at this point and definitely a, a source for, for prayer. But there will not be the ultimate healing of nations until this point. It's going to be at the throne room of God. It's going to be at the tree of life. And how wonderful that's going to be. God's plan fulfilled, not messed up with sin. We're not going to be hating each other. We're not going to be prejudiced against each other. We're not going to be destroying each other, fighting with one another. The healing of the nations around the throne room of God. In verse 3, and there shall be no more curse. Can I get a hallelujah? hallelujah? Praise the Lord. No more curse. You might be going, well, what, what in the world is the curse? Is, is it my mother-in-law? I'm not sure. You know? <laughs> Comes from Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sinned, and then God said, here's the curse that, that comes upon you. Here's the consequence of sin. For women, there's pain in childbirth. Prior to the fall, that was not the case. Interesting, part of the curse, ladies, is the desire for your husband. You're like, you can blame Eve for that. The reason that you desire your husband goes back to the curse. And he will rule over you. For men, to Adam, it was that the ground is going to be cursed. And toil, you shall eat thorns and thistles. Work is going to be hard in this life. There's no way around it. Things go wrong. And that's part of the curse. But when we get to heaven, when we experience this new Jerusalem, there's going to be no more curse. Imagine our relationship with God and our relationship with one another with no curse, with no sin involved. What might gardening look like in heaven? 
with no weeds. But the throne of God and the Lamb of God shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. In the midst of God's people is the throne of God, and the Lamb shall be in it. So the Father, the Son, seated upon the throne, we're in God's presence, and we have the joy of serving him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. To see the face of God. We're going to behold the, the face of God. What we can only imagine right now through faith is someday we're going to see God's face. Moses requested to see God's face, to see God's glory. A great prayer request. Of all the things Moses could have asked for, he said, God, I want to see your glory. I want to see your face. God's response to Moses is, you can only see my backside. You can't see my face because of Moses' sin. And that experience was so powerful for Moses that he had the Mo glow going on and he didn't even realize it. Came down from the mountain with God and, and his face was literally glowing. There's some promises that are given to us that when we see the face of God, we're going to be made like him, 1 John 3, 2. Think about that for just a moment. When we see him, then we're going to be made like him we're going to be glorified. That's incredible. We won't be God, but we'll be like God. That's to the degree that God is redeeming us. We'll study this in the book of Romans that we are glorified from, from God's perspective. The prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 17 says, As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. I will see your face in righteousness. When I see your face in righteousness, I'm going to awaken your likeness and then I'm going to be satisfied. We're never going to be fully satisfied this side of eternity. There's always going to be something missing. And it's that longing to see God. It's that longing to be like God for things to be perfected. But lay hold of that. If you know the Lord is your Savior, lay hold of that. You're going to see God. You're going to behold him and you're going to be made like him. There shall be no light there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. No night, God is illuminating. His face shines in heaven for all of eternity. He gives us light and this promise that's given to us, let's meditate upon that and they shall reign forever and ever. So, we're ruling and reigning with Christ for a thousand years, but we're also reigning in eternity. God's going to have jobs for us to do. He's going to have assignments for us to do. God gave assignments to Adam and Eve in the garden prior to sin. So there is a redeemed aspect of work that we're going to fully enter into and get to reign with God for all of eternity. In verse 6, then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. This emphasis of these things that you've read in the book of Revelation, they're faithful, they're true. And God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants these things. If any book in the Bible is more contested, it's the book of Revelation. But God affirms 
over and over again through the book of Revelation, these things are faithful and they are true. From our perspective, the things in the book of Revelation that are yet future, we can't fully predict or know how those are going to play out. But they are going to play out. This is not a fictitious story. This is not just allegory. This isn't just describing the struggle that the church is, is having at the current time. They're faithful and true. So the book of Revelation is going to play out. The book of Revelation is, is going to be fulfilled and this promise that these things must take place shortly. And the skeptic says, well, John wrote these things so long ago. How could this be true? Once again, we have to think of this through the lens of perspective of eternity. From the perspective of eternity, God's saying, this is going to happen soon. I'm coming quickly. I'm going to bring these events to pass that we see in the book of of Revelation. In verse 7, behold, I'm coming quickly. This is the first of three times that Jesus says this in this chapter. Behold, stop, look, pay attention. It's an imperative. I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. You may remember from chapter 2 and 3 was the encouragement to all the seven churches to overcome. How do we overcome? By continuing to believe in Jesus, First John tells us. He who overcomes that believes that Jesus is, is the Son of God. How do we keep the book of Revelations? By continuing to believe in Christ. How do we keep the book of Revelations? By looking for his soon return. Jesus said, I want you to watch and be ready for my, my coming. That's a way for us to, to keep. So with these statements of Jesus coming quickly, there's also action points that come with them. So this first one, behold, I'm coming quickly. I want you to keep the words of this prophecy. There's this idea that Jesus wants us to be found faithful when he returns. So my Tuesday nights, my parents uh, would do Bible study together. They would go to our, our church and they would do Bible study. It was a discipleship group and memorize scripture and stuff. So they would get my brother and I all set to be home alone on Tuesday nights, right? And we were old enough to, to be home alone, but we were rascals. So there was appropriate things that we could watch on TV of like the approved list of what we could watch. And then there was things that we weren't supposed to, to watch uh, on TV. My parents pull up in the Ford Fairmont station wagon and we were watching something we weren't supposed to be watching, right? And they come in the house and we change the channel quick enough back to the good boy channel. <laughs> and my brother looks over at me and he says, mom's the word. And I'd never heard that before. And I was like, what? What did you say? He's like, mom's the word. And by the time he said it the second time, dad's like, okay, what's going on? You know, dad, dad heard him, him saying that and we, we were busted. We were caught. I think my parents probably prayed for this, but we always got caught. Over a matter of time, we would, we would always get caught. But we were not watching for our parents' return in the right way, right? If we... We are watching for their return for what can we get away with. But for us as believers, as, as we watch for the Lord's return, it's this idea of, man, I want to be ready. 
I want to be living for the Lord. I want to be trust, trusting in him. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this book. In verse 8, Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and your brethren the prophets. And of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. This is the second time that John makes this mistake to start worshiping the angel who is revealing the message to him instead of worshiping God. And it had to be an extremely overwhelming experience for John to see all these things in this vision. But he gets his wires crossed. And each time the angel is so quick to say, don't do that. Don't worship me, worship God. And there is a lesson here in this for us is we want to be very careful to not give our worship to people. Give it to the Lord. Especially a messenger in your life, a mentor in your life, someone that God's used in your life. You can easily start to, to make too much of them. And also, too, if someone starts to put you on a pedestal, be quick to point them to the Lord. Be quick to say, man, you need to be worshiping the Lord because I'm sin, sinful and I'm fallen and I'm going to let you down. In verse 10, and he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of the book for the time is at hand. And this is contrary to what a lot of people would think about the book of Revelation. The book of Daniel, God told Daniel, hey, seal up these prophecies because they're not for right now. But that's not the case for John. Don't seal this up. This is meant to be read. This is meant to be studied. This is meant to be understood because these events are at hand. We're getting close to these things taking place. Verse 11, he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. If these things don't move you, the things in the book of Revelation, if they don't move you out of a place of unrighteousness, then stay in that place of filthiness. But if you're walking with the Lord, then continue to walk with the Lord. It's an interesting verse. It's an interesting challenge. Here the the declaration is, man, if you're reading these things, if you can read the book of Revelation, if you can read the great white throne judgment and be content to stay in that filthiness, then stay in that place. But if you're walking with the Lord, walk with the Lord. So hopefully the book of Revelation would, would move people to say, I want to live for the Lord. I want to trust the gospel. Second time Jesus declares this, and behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Jesus is declaring that with his return, he comes with a reward and encourages us to be faithful in serving the Lord. Galatians 6, 9 tells us, don't get weary, don't lose heart, don't get weary in doing good because the reward is coming in due season. Sometimes we get to see the reward in this life, but most of the time it's going to be in eternal life. So if there's a facet of your life this evening where you're serving the Lord and you're getting tired, you're saying, I don't know if it's worth it, I'm not getting the returns that I thought that I would, Keep serving the Lord. Because when Jesus comes, he's coming with the reward. This is also the encouragement that comes from 1 
Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. With the resurrection of Christ, the return of Christ, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Verse 13, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. This is a fitting closing page of Scripture. This is the last page of your Bible. And Jesus declares, I'm the beginning, I'm the end, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commands, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. What does it mean to do his commands? It's so important because this gives access to the tree of life. It gives access to the new Jerusalem. John 6, 29, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. We keep God's commands because we're saved, but we don't keep God's commands in order to be saved. Does that make sense? The way that we're saved, the commands of God is to believe on the one whom he sent to trust in what Jesus has done for us. Verse 15, but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexual and moral murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Again, this is not struggle with sin. This is a lifestyle of sin. This is a rejection of Christ, a rejection of the gospel that results in this life that's given over to sin. Remember, Satan knows the scriptures too. And if you're not careful, you can really start to undermine the gospel and get to a place where you're like, I don't know if I'm saved. Well, look clearly at what the gospel declares. Do you believe Jesus died for your sins? Do you believe he rose again? Do you believe he's the Lord of your life? Then, then you're saved. And so this isn't talking about struggle with sin. This is a lifestyle of sin, this willful rebellion to the Lord. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Interesting that Jesus says, I am the statement of deity that he's the root and the offspring of David. The root means that he's the source of David, which is absolutely true. Jesus is the source of David as God. He created David. But he's also the offspring of David. That speaks of his humanity as he came from the lineage of David and was born in Bethlehem, the bright and the morning star. Verse 17, I love verse 17. If you're a Bible underliner, this is worth underlining. The Spirit... And the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. So the Spirit of God and the church, the bride of Christ, get linked up in this chorus of saying, Come. Come. If you're thirsty, come and drink of this living water. As we look at chapter 22 in the throne room of God, we see the Father and the Lamb. But where's the Spirit? Well, the Spirit's there too, and the Spirit's a person. And we don't get a lot of detail on the Spirit in this chapter, but we see the heart of the Spirit, and the Spirit's saying, I don't want you to miss out on this living water. I don't want you to miss out on eternal life. I don't want you to miss out on the abundant life here and now. 
of drinking of the living water that Jesus provides. So come. This is important for us to remember and understand that to heaven, to the tree of life, to living water, there's an open invitation. This is the heart of God. An open invitation. You come. You come. If you're, you're thirsty, you come. I don't, I don't know why, but this last couple weeks, I've just been feeling the dryness of Colorado Springs. Just been so, so dry. And I drink a lot of water. And I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm still thirsty. And my lips are cracking and all this stuff. I'm like, oh yeah, it's, it's winter. It's January in, in Colorado Springs. Then though, the good thing is to get some water. When you're thirsty and you get some cold water, you're just like, oh, this is, this is so good. And so there's an open invitation. If you don't know Christ as your savior, you haven't trusted him for salvation it's the heart of God. It's, it's the heart of believers that you would come. How do you come? To turn from sin. The Bible calls it repentance. To believe that Jesus is God, that he died for you, that he rose again. But only you can decide to come. Only you can decide. It's a decision that you get to make that nobody else can, can make for you. And for us as believers, we have come to the fountain of living water. We've received salvation continue drinking there. (laughs) Continue from that well, saying, Jesus, would you fill me up? The spirit and the bride say, come. In verse 18, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of Of the truth of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. This response from the church, hearing the words of Christ, and Christ says, hey, don't mess with the book of Revelation. If you mess with the book of Revelation, you you change it, your name's taken out of the book of life. You don't inherit eternal life. God, God's serious about this. There's a similar command in Deuteronomy 4, verse 2. It says, you shall not add to the word which I commanded you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commands of the Lord your God which I've commanded you. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. So for us, it's important as we live in a day, an age where the word of God is contested, where there's many that are wanting to change the word of God. Don't do it. Don't go down that, that road. God is God. So open up the word and allow the word of God to speak to you. There's powerful churches, powerful denominations that have abandoned the word of God and begin to put man's opinions and man's ideas above the word of God. It can happen in our lives individually where we start to develop our own theology, our own idea of of who God is instead of a, a biblical theology. But you think about how well does it go when you start changing a recipe, for some of you, it goes great. For, for Amber, my wife, she can change a recipe and it comes out better than in the recipe. When I change a recipe, it's disastrous. If I want to have any luck in the kitchen, I better stick to, to the recipe. 
Remember, Satan's a liar, and his lies sound a lot like the truth. There might be 90% truth and 10% of a lie, but he's able to do a lot of destruction in our lives. You're going to be on good footing with God if you hold to the word of God. You read it, you trust it, you believe it, you don't change it. It may seem new to us in our culture that our culture is so counter the word of God, but throughout church history, culture has been counter the word of God. We're not the first culture to have it cost us something to hold to the word of God, and many countries have been dealing with this for a long time, even in our lifetime. And now that we find it to be countercultural to hold to the word of God, we shouldn't be shocked. And also we shouldn't be prideful. We shouldn't be angry. We're to hold to the truth of God in humility and love, extending truth in grace. Jesus came in the fullness of, of grace and truth. We can get to the place where we're like, I'm holding to the Bible. Look out. I'm going to thump you with my Bible. What do, you, what do you mean? You don't believe the Bible. Here, you know, you moron. It's like, yeah, they're going to want to get saved. They're going to be like, that looks really good. Give me some of what you got, right? So the, there's this balance. We don't compromise the word of God. We don't change the word of God. But as we get into God's message and we understand his grace, then we're able to hold to the truth of scripture in love. We're to hold to the truth of scripture in, in grace. We're able to come in the fullness of, of grace and in truth. And speaking of grace... Verse 21, the scripture ends with this. This is the last verse in the Bible, and I absolutely love it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Grace is the final word of the scriptures. What is grace? It's unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. We deserve God's punishment. His mercy is not giving us his punishment. Grace is him giving us his son instead of our punishment. Don't miss the message of the Bible. It's one of grace. It's grace. It's the starting point. It's the ending point. It's every point in between. God is gracious. He's merciful. He's compassionate. He's long-suffering. This is who he is. He doesn't delight in the death of the wicked, when the wicked perish. He longs for everyone to, to give, get saved. This is the heart and nature of God, that he's, he's gracious. We're saved by grace. We live by grace. We're gonna have eternal life by God's grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. It's been a joy to study through the book of Revelation. I, I hope you've been blessed by it. I hope you found the promise to be true in Revelation chapter 1, that as we read the book of Revelation, that we're blessed. I hope you're not as intimidated by it. I hope that it hasn't left you in some place of conspiracy or some place of mixed up priorities or put you in a place of fear. I hope... Our study of the book of Revelation has left you in a place of going, I have a deeper revelation of who Jesus is. Because that's the intent of the book. And hopefully in your heart, there's an excitement that Jesus is coming. 
that behold, he is coming quickly and the reward is, is with him. So let's stand and let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you're coming. And in humility, we don't understand how all of these events will unfold, but we know that they will take place just the way that you see fit. And so Jesus, we long for your return. We long for your coming. We long for eternal life. We thank you that you are the lamb. It's so clear throughout the book of Revelation that you're the lamb who is our king, that you came to die for our sins and rise again. And we do ask for just that deeper revelation of you, Jesus, and a contagious love of Jesus that we could go out and share with others. So we pray blessing, your blessing, your grace in our lives. We need a a fresh outpouring of your grace this evening. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.